Welcome to Murder Minute. On today's episode, Aaron Caffey. But first, your true crime headlines. In Ohio, a drive-by shooting at a memorial vigil for an earlier homicide victim killed a passing motorist and wounded five people in the crowd, including a 12-year-old child. According to Columbus detectives, a small group had gathered at around 7 p.m. last Saturday in a shopping plaza parking lot southeast of the city to mark one year since another homicide victim was killed at the same location. In April of 2020, 28-year-old Jaron Hickman was killed there after a drug deal involving marijuana went bad. At about 7.30 p.m., police said a dark-colored sports utility vehicle drove past the vigil and someone opened fire, injuring five people and killing one. 39-year-old Latoya Carpenter, who was driving past the location, was fatally struck in the head by gunfire and crashed into a parked car in an apartment building parking lot next door. Carpenter was pronounced dead at the scene. All five of the other victims at the vigil who were shot were taken to hospitals and were in stable condition. Mayor Andrew Ginther posted a message on Twitter saying, quote, Enough. Put down the guns. We must come together to end the violence that is tearing our community apart. Share what you know with police to get dangerous criminals off the street. Police said no suspects were in custody and asked anyone with information to contact the Franklin County Sheriff's Office. The Indiana Court of Appeals has ruled that a mentally disabled man convicted of killing a 94-year-old woman nearly 20 years ago is entitled to a new trial. The court's unanimous opinion last week affirmed a 2020 ruling that vacated Andrew Royer's murder conviction in the death of Helen Saylor and found that he did not receive a fair trial. In 2002, Helen Saylor was found strangled in her apartment at a high-rise near downtown Elkhart. The court found that the Elkhart police detective who interrogated Andrew Royer fed him details of Saylor's murder during interrogation and disregarded his mental disability. Royer who confessed to Saylor's killing in 2003 after being interrogated for two days, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia, according to his attorneys at the time. The detective was removed from the Elkhart homicide unit prior to Royer's 2005 trial, and the court said that this information constituted newly discovered evidence. Royer's attorney filed an appeal in June of 2018 seeking to overturn his conviction, arguing that his murder confession was coerced. They also argued that he was sentenced to 55 years in prison based on bad policing, poor work by his defense lawyer, false witness statements, and law enforcement concealing evidence. Royer was released from prison in April of 2020 after 16 years of incarceration following the ruling by Special Judge Joe Sutton. Judge Melissa May wrote in the appellate court's April 8th decision, quote, Simply put, Royer did not receive a fair criminal trial. It is unclear when or if Royer will stand trial again for Saylor's murder. 
in Portsmouth, Ohio. A former corrections officer has been indicted on felony charges in the death of a county jail inmate last year. The Ohio Attorney General's office said Monday that former corrections officer Billy Thompson was indicted by a county grand jury Friday on murder, voluntary manslaughter, and reckless homicide charges. The charges stem from a struggle that occurred on May 25, 2020, as 56-year-old inmate Kevin Bailey was being moved within the Seoto County Jail. Thompson is accused of having slammed Bailey to the ground. Bailey died June 1st at a hospital due to blunt force trauma to the head, neck, and torso, authorities said. Officials said the in-custody death was investigated by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation, and the Attorney General's Office Special Prosecution Section was appointed to prosecute the case. Attorney Stu Matthews said his firm would be representing Thompson. He said Thompson had worked for the office for several years before leaving for work overseas, but had returned and was re-employed for some months before the death and his employment ended as a result of the incident. Karen Skaggs, Bailey's sister, who led protests following her brother's death, told the Portsmouth Daily Times that she was, quote, happy, sad, and mad about news of the charges. She said that she hopes the case, quote, will show just because you wear a badge. You cannot do this without being held accountable for it. California investigators are trying to determine if a suspicious fire that killed a little girl and her father early Saturday is connected to a fatal shooting in a grocery store a week ago. Authorities have not released the names of the 37-year-old father and his daughter, who was going to turn two in May. The Oakland Police Department said in a statement that their deaths are being investigated as homicides. The fire started just after midnight, they said, while the family was asleep in their home. Other family members escaped, but the girl and her father were later found dead inside by firefighters. Police say that the investigators are trying to determine if the fire was tied to a fatal shooting inside Booker's Grocery Liquor Store a week ago. That shooting may be tied to another liquor store shooting in Oakland on Monday. On Wednesday evening, Booker's Grocery Liquor was set on fire. The Federal Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives has been called in to investigate. Alongside the Oakland Police and Fire Departments, Alameda County Arson Task Force, and the County District Attorney's Office. Police are offering a reward of up to $40,000 for information leading to the arrest of the individuals responsible for the deaths of the father and daughter and the people injured in Saturday's fire. Those are your true crime headlines. Up next, Aaron Caffey. But first, a quick break. Welcome back to Murder Minute. Erin Michelle Caffey was born on July 27, 1991, and grew up in Rains County, Texas, with her mother, Penny, her father, Terry, and her two younger brothers. 
Matthew, and Tyler. The Caffeys were a conservative and religious family. Terry was a home health aide and lay preacher. Penny worked for Meals on Wheels. They had met at a revival meeting when Penny was 21 and Terry was 24, and their strong Baptist faith was their bond. Above their driveway hung a polished wooden plank with the inscription, quote, The Caffeys, Joshua 2415. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The Caffeys attended Bible study every Wednesday night and church every Sunday morning. When Erin was 13 years old, her family moved to be closer to the conservative Miracle Faith Baptist Church, where her parents worked as youth ministers. Erin had started eighth grade at public school, but when a female classmate tried to kiss her in the hallway, her parents abruptly pulled all three of their children out of school. From then on, the Caffey children were isolated, with their mother Penny teaching them a Bible-based curriculum at their home, six miles out of town. As a result, the teenager had few friends. Aaron's only social life outside of her immediate family was at their church. Her mother, Penny, played the piano at Miracle Faith and Aaron's brothers, 8-year-old Tyler and 13-year-old Matthew, played the guitar and the harmonica. Aaron was the vocalist of the family. When Aaron turned 16 in July of 2007, her social circle grew a bit bigger. She got her driver's license and an old Chevy pickup truck and was allowed to get a job at the local Sonic. She was so sheltered, one of her co-workers would later recall. It was like she was seeing the world for the first time. And the world saw Aaron as well. The pretty and friendly blue-eyed blonde, according to co-workers, soon found herself the center of attention. A lot of guys flirted with her, and she would just blush and smile and duck her head down and skate inside and tell me, that guy wanted my number. And I'd say, did you tell him that your mom will be answering the phone? One young man who flirted with Aaron Caffey was Charlie Wilkinson, a good-looking boy with sandy hair and light blue eyes who wore Wranglers, black cowboy boots, and an oversized black western hat. Charlie had just returned home from boot camp at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, with his Texas National Guard unit and planned to go active duty after his senior year. For the next few months, Charlie visited the Sonic to see Aaron, and the two became infatuated with one another. He was totally in love with her and considered her his soulmate. A friend of Charlie's, Dion Kip Jr., later recalled, Charlie talked about Aaron 24-7, but Aaron's parents didn't approve of Charlie. There were just things about him, Terry said, that didn't sit right with me. 
Terry and Penny limited Aaron's time with Charlie. They were not allowed to go out together alone, but Charlie was allowed to come to the house for supper if he wanted to see her. To see Aaron more often, Charlie began attending church at Miracle Faith. What I knew of Charlie, he seemed like a nice boy, recalled Pastor McGehee. I don't think anyone worried about him and Aaron at first. We thought it was just puppy love. A few months into their relationship, Charlie gave Aaron a promise ring that had belonged to his grandmother and told her that he wanted to marry her. When Penny saw the ring on her daughter's finger, she was furious. Terry told Charlie that it was inappropriate. You're promising yourself to my daughter, he said. Do you realize she is 16 years old? To slow down the relationship, Penny and Terry limited Aaron's time with Charlie further to once a week in their home under their supervision. Aaron became furious and told her aunt that she planned to run away. Then, in February of 2008, Aaron broke her phone curfew, talking to Charlie without permission after 10 p.m. She was grounded, her keys and phone were taken away, and her weekly visits with Charlie were suspended. Aaron began to neglect her schoolwork and lost interest in church. Things got so bad at home that Penny declined to go on a women's church retreat, telling friends that she needed to spend time at home with her family. On February 27th, Penny stopped by the local library at her sister's suggestion and went online to look at Charlie's MySpace page. To her shock, she found numerous comments about having sex and getting drunk. When Erin came home that afternoon, her parents were waiting for her in the living room. It's over, Terry told her. You're breaking up with him today. I mean, it's over now. To their surprise, Erin didn't argue with them. Perhaps that was because Aaron and Charlie had already decided to take matters into their own hands. Aaron Caffey had been talking to friends about killing her parents for weeks. Charlie had also told friends that he was going to kill Aaron's parents. He had only wanted to run away with Aaron, he told one friend, but she insisted. Charlie said that he wished he could just get her pregnant so that her parents would have no choice but to accept him. But Aaron didn't want to have a baby. She was too young. On March 1st, 2008, two days after Aaron was grounded, Charlie pulled up outside the cafe house at around 1.30 a.m. He had two friends with him, 20-year-old Charles Allen Wade, who had agreed to help for $2,000, and Wade's 18-year-old girlfriend, Bobby Gale Johnson, whose silver Dodge Neon they were driving. When they first pulled up to the house, the Caffey's dog barked so much that they bailed. But Aaron called Charlie on his cell phone, 
and promised to keep the dog quiet when they returned. Erin Caffey ran out of the house in her flower print pajamas to meet them. For a while, they drove around, discussing the plan. Charlie asked Erin again to just run away with him, but she insisted. They turned back toward the cafe home and parked down the road. Erin sat in the car with Bobby, while Charlie and Wade entered the house. Before going in, Charlie told Erin that he would have to kill her younger brothers too, so that there would be no witnesses. I don't care, she said. Just do what you gotta do. Charlie and Wade walked in the front door of the cafe house, which Erin had left open. Once inside, they made their way to Terry and Penny's room and fired on the sleeping couple. They burst into our bedroom and opened fire, shooting me several times. Terry Caffey told AOL News. Not only did they come in shooting, they also came in with a samurai sword. After they shot Penny, they shot me three more times in the back and once in the back of the leg. I could not feel the right side of my body, and nothing would come out of my mouth. I felt I had been shot in the face. Then one of them took the sword and stabbed Penny in the neck, nearly decapitating her. Terry Caffey watched his wife Penny die as he lay beside her, going in and out of consciousness. Then Charlie and Wade headed upstairs to where Tyler and Matthew were hiding. I began to panic, Terry said. I was trying to get up, and I heard Matthew begin to cry out. He said, No, Charlie, no. Why are you doing this? When I heard his name mentioned by Matthew, I knew who was in my house and why he was there. Then I heard the gunfire. I tried to get up again, but the blood rushed to my head, and I collapsed. Thirteen-year-old Matthew was shot in the face, and eight-year-old Tyler, who was hiding in a closet, was brutally killed when the pair took turns using the sword on him. Charlie and Wade then looted the house for valuables, poured lighter fluid on the furniture and set fire to the cafe home. When I woke up, the house was on fire, Terry said. I knew I wasn't able to get upstairs because the flames were just pushing me back into the bedroom. So I crawled on the bed and found Penny. She was already gone. I finally managed to crawl out our bathroom window and then drag myself away from the house. It took Terry Caffey an hour to drag himself through the woods to his nearest neighbor's home, 300 yards away. When he reached Tommy Gaston's house, Gaston called 911. When the operator asked him where Terry Caffey 
was bleeding from. Gaston replied, quote, Where isn't he bleeding from? It's a miracle he's here at all. As Terry was rushed to the hospital for emergency surgery, fearing he may not live, Terry told sheriff's deputies who it was who murdered his family. They're all gone, he said. Charlie Wilkinson shot my family. A few hours later, authorities took 18-year-old Charlie Wilkinson, 20-year-old Charles Wade, and 18-year-old Bobby Johnson into custody. When they discovered Aaron Caffey in a trailer that belonged to Wade's brother, she appeared to be in a state of shock. Aaron told police that she had been kidnapped. When she was questioned, Aaron seemed confused. In a quiet, childlike voice, she told them that she was 14 years old, that she had woken up in a house full of smoke, and that, quote, two guys with swords dressed in black had taken her. But it didn't take long for Aaron's story to fall apart. Charlie Wilkinson, Charles Wade, and Bobby Johnson all had the same story. The murders were Aaron's idea. While 16-year-old Aaron Caffey was on her way to visit her father at the hospital, she was arrested. And all four of the friends were charged with three counts of capital murder. Terry Caffey survived the attack only to suffer through months of suicidal depression. After burying my family, I went back to stay with my sister for a while and was reduced to living on her couch, and everything I owned was in the cardboard box. Terry said, Just a few weeks prior to that, I had a beautiful home, acreage, and a beautiful family. It was all gone. I planned my own suicide. I decided that when I got well enough to travel, I was going to go back to my property, and I was going to end it. So when that day came, I went back there and stood on the ashes, and began to cry to God. I said, God, I don't understand why you took my family. Why did you do this? I just don't understand. No sooner than I said that, I looked down, and I saw this scrap piece of paper from a book. It was burned around the edges. I picked it up and it read, I couldn't understand why you would take my family and leave me behind to struggle along without them. I may never totally understand that part of it, but I do know that you are sovereign. You are in control. When I read those words, I was like, wow. It brought me to my knees. The page was from a book called Blind Sight, a novel about a man who loses his wife and two children in a car accident. It was written by Jim Pence, a good family friend. He was my kid's karate instructor. 
He had given it to my wife about two or three years before the murders. That crumpled page described exactly where I was at that moment. It was then that I realized that God had put all this together, and I knew that I had been spared for a reason. In October of 2008, Charlie Wilkinson and Charles Wade were given life sentences without the possibility of parole. Prosecutors initially sought the death penalty against the two young men, but Terry Caffey intervened. I wanted them to have a chance to find remorse and hopefully be sorry for what they had done, Terry said. Have a chance for repentance. Three months later, Bobby Johnson and Aaron Caffey both pleaded guilty to murder. Johnson was given two 40-year concurrent sentences and will be eligible for parole in 2032. Erin Caffey was given two consecutive life sentences. She will be eligible to apply for parole in 2048. By then, she will be 59 years old. Terry visits his daughter regularly. Erin still denies that the murders were her idea. Her father believes that she tried to run away from Charlie Wilkinson the night of the murders, but was forced to wait in the car. Her boyfriend has tried to pin it on her, saying she was the mastermind and that he was just going along with it because she brainwashed him, Terry said. But I knew that was not true. That's not her. People ask me, How could you forgive your daughter? And how could you forgive those who murdered your family? I'm not trying to justify anything. This is my daughter. This has been Murder Minute. For true crime anytime, download the Murder Minute app. Or follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Stereo at Murder Minute.